Hey everyone, I'm April, and you're listening to The Labster Podcast. I'm proud to say that at Labster, we are guided by our mission to empower the next generation of scientists to change the world and contribute to solving global challenges. If you're an educator listening to this podcast, we know you also share that mission, so thank you. With me, as always, is my friend and fellow Labsterite, S.J. Bolton, an educational designer and former university lecturer who now develops Labster's virtual lab simulations for students in high school, college, and university. This is part two of a special episode with Dr. Sophia Roming about her philosophy of STEM for all. In this part of the conversation, Sophia shares her approach to educational innovation through her work at the Center for the Advancement of Teaching at Florida State University, where she is an associate director. As you'll hear, the center has some pretty interesting initiatives, including a program for training undergraduate learning assistants to help first and second year students succeed in gateway science courses. Let's rejoin our conversation now. So I know you've done some awesome work at Florida State University around like helping faculty to create equity. Like what strategies have you been using or how do you hope to create equity in the future? So I'm just going to talk about two things. I think those are most germane to the work that I do. First, as a center, we support faculty in moving away from traditional lecture to active learning. We hold uh, course design institutes where we just start with simply talking about alignment. Are your goals aligning with your activities? Are they aligning with the way in which you assess students so that you know whether you have achieved your goals? Have you thought about discussion groups or other active learning kinds of opportunities, hands-on kinds of things that access students' funds of knowledge, things that they knew from before, but they may have not made connections like across fields uh, to help them deepen their learning. And then the other side of what I do, we prepare learning assistants to work with faculty in large gateway courses. Uh, So those are the courses that you meet before you go into the major. And those are usually, at least at my university, somewhere between 250, sometimes up to 400, 500 students. And one faculty member with a TA or two cannot adequately get to know all of those students, cannot adequately support all of those students. So we prepare undergraduate learning assistants, like undergraduate TAs. undergraduate? Yeah, they're undergraduate. Wow. Uh, They are responsible for a smaller group of students, like 25 and they get to know the names of their 25 students, right? And so they are in GroupMe and WhatsApp chat, and they get to know them, give them little uh, polls, like what's your favorite pet, stuff like that, trying to establish a sense of belonging, both in the course and at the university itself. And then they are the bridge between the faculty member and the learning, right? Like, Some things I get, oh, I got that today. But this other thing, I don't understand. And this LA, through Socratic methods, right? They're not tutors, they're not showing you how to do it, but they're using questioning techniques to get you to figure out the answer. So what do you think comes next? And why do you think that needs to be like that? 
Do you agree with that? Okay, so you didn't agree. What do you think should be next? Uh, Getting students to work together to come to the answer. And then they're the eyes and ears of the faculty member, right? Because when they have their weekly meetings with their faculty colleague, they're going to say, you know, Sophia understood X, but when you got to Y, she didn't get it. And we worked through that in the group, but I still think it's, you know, muddy. She didn't quite get it. I think maybe if we have time, we can go over that again next class. And all of the LAs are there giving their feedback, perhaps on an upcoming assignment, right? They would have done the assignment that students are going to do the next week. And they can say, well, this set of instructions were fuzzy. I wasn't sure what to do with this right here. And this piece here, I've already taken your course. I passed this with the required grade to be in LA, a B plus or higher, and I still had trouble doing this piece right here. So maybe you want to really hone in on this section when you're teaching it. And what we're finding is that kind of synergy, that redesign coursework so that it's active. And then these instructional supports, LAs, along with traditional supports, TAs, are really moving the needle at our institution. We're seeing our TFW rates drop. So those are students who drop the course, who fail, or who get like a D in that course that's not considered a pass. Our goal is to make that number like drop as low as possible. There are just some STEM courses that are really, really high, like trig. And we are progressively seeing those numbers fall semester by semester as faculty get more competent in active learning. And then our LAs, especially the experienced ones who've been with faculty for two, three, four semesters, really get those skills under their belt and are really good at asking good questions that move students to the answer without telling them we're starting to see those drop, right? And that's good for us, uh, both for student learning and costs to the university. That's really difficult to do. I love this person-centered approach. This is so encouraging. I mean, we see other examples. So, so for example, in the UK, we see a lot of peer mentoring type setups, which are reminiscent of the Oxford tutorial system. And we see, so I was one, <laughs> I was a seminar leader. <laughs> when I was a PhD student, I trained to do, we call them seminar leaders if you're doing small group teaching or demonstrators if they're doing lab-based teaching. And it's the first little bit of training that you can do towards on your pedagogical journey to support undergrad students in the lab and, and take those small group sessions. But what intrigues me here, it's the feedback that's interesting. The educators, the lecturers, professors have this opportunity to derive a number of reports almost like a product owner <laughs> in management circles. They're, they're receiving these reports from the learning systems, yeah, which can really, it seems like it can really fill the gaps. And I'd love to come back to active learning, but first I'm wondering about your educators that do engage with the centre, as you touched upon, so the Centre for Advancement and Teaching, right? Um, do they do they reach out themselves for help with their teaching or is that do they get referred to you? Like, How does that work? So a number of ways. We send out a weekly tip to all faculty members with some advice on instructional strategies or topical issues like COVID, right? Like teaching in a time of COVID. And we invite them to come and make use of our services. Let us, let us support you. So that's our outreach, weekly outreach to faculty members. 
Then there are workshops and we advertise those through our tips or through announcements. We're going to be talking about effective use of videos in your instructions. And my colleague, Amaya, will lead that workshop. And so they come for that and then they find out other things that we do and they may show up for us to help them think through this. A new and incoming faculty tenure track and non-tenure track go through a two-day course design institute where we talk about what I said before, alignment and making sure that your goals and your assessments and your activities really do align. That's really interesting. I'm so interested to hear these new strategies when I reflect on my own experience, but also when I'm thinking about curriculum design within Lobster. There's a fantastic center um, that was set up by one of my heroes, Pauline Neal, down in Portsmouth called Pedrio, which was a pedagogic research center at Plymouth University. And um, it was so interesting to see their approach around really developing an attitude of lifelong learning for educators themselves. So that pedagogy was something that you're a competent beginner when you first start and you're only going to get better. <laughs> so it sounds like a similar kind of attitude is is being cultured by the Centre for Advancement of Teaching too, that, that educators are going to develop and be encouraged to engage with their own training and their own improvement in a reflective way. And certainly to move, even when you feel that you have it under your belt, there's a book that's called How Learning Works. And In this continuum, they talk about being unconsciously competent, right? You get to that point where you know so much that you don't have to think about things anymore. There's an automaticity to what you do. And that too is dangerous, right? Because then you stop doing all of the steps, but your students are on the other end of that continuum where they are unconsciously incompetent. They don't know the steps and you jump over steps. And those are the spaces that they need. Like if you didn't show them when you do the algebra, how this moved from over here to over there and you did a division and you didn't do all the steps, they're like, wait, where did that come from? Right? How did that happen? Exactly. But to you, it's automatic. Of course, this is what should happen. I did a division. You've touched how? on like my how did you topic. divide? <laughs> <laughs> what? Where did the X go? What? And, and that's because you already know. And so to you, it's like, well, how could you not know that? A threshold because they don't know that. Exactly. No. They need you to put in all of the steps as they become uh, more competent, right? Sure. And so helping them to say, well, okay, you have done this design, but you need to be reflective. You need to constantly go back and think about your craft. Like, how can I improve this so that my students are achieving more? Think through the students' eyes. What might they miss? And this is where your LAs really come in, right? Because they're still students. Mm -hmm. They're not as at the novice level, the way your incoming students in the gateway courses are, but they're near enough. They're in the middle where they can say, you didn't show them how to get from here to there. And that's what the problem is. Like, if you showed this step, more of them would get it. <laughs> They're a step away removed from the, the paradigm that you've just described. They're probably the, the best example of consciously incompetent that we could use. <laughs> They're not incompetent, of course. <laughs> they are, but they recognize where the gaps are. No, no, no. They, they Yeah. They recognize what they don't see. It's they know what they don't know. 
like, oh, we didn't do this. And so this is what's the issue, right? And sometimes that's the breakthrough to know that, okay, you did a division here, but I don't know how you did that. No. Threshold concepts were always something that I really struggled with as an educator because I found it so difficult to reflect and find them. Yeah. Have to build in time. Yep. They're, they're so easy to overlook. And it sometimes takes like the, the one bold student to just say like, look, I don't get this thing. <laughs> I don't get it. Please help. <laughs> to like make you go, oh yeah, kind of forgot about that. Kind of forgot. Yes, exactly. And so in some ways, like I said, that's what the LAs are. They're this bridge, right? They have this relationship with their faculty colleagues that, like I said, sometimes spans several semesters. The mentorship that's happening are from the faculty member to them to prepare them, whether they ultimately do this or not, as instructors in STEM, to understand pedagogy and thinking and learning and doing and acting and feeling in this field, they are still students and understand the student experience. And so they can translate that for you. They really didn't get it. It was silent, but I want you to know that when we got into our small groups, I saw the gaps. This wasn't happening. They didn't get that. You really need to make some time to perhaps go back over this within maybe the first five minutes of your next session to fill in those gaps. That must be such a valuable experience for those later stage students as well in recognizing how to critique their own learning. So if they're applying that to the the younger students or the earlier students, that must have impact for their own work. We hope so. We believe so. And why we advocate uh, for these approaches at our institution Uh, We are working towards transformation. It's a small center. There are four of us and two GAs. And so we take them as they come. Well, I see that our time today is starting to come to a close already. But before we completely wrap up our conversation, SJ and I both wanted to ask you one last question. And that is that your institution, Florida State University, has just reported an overall four-year graduation rate of 74%, which is the highest it's ever been in its history, the highest four-year graduation rate in the state of Florida, and puts FSU in the top 10 highest graduation rates among all public universities in the United States. So congratulations, big ups on that. How have you accomplished this feat? And how might other colleges replicate your success? I think this is a testament to collaboration, a commitment to student success, and great leadership, right? So we have a provost who is committed to student learning, Dr. Salim Khoury, and she within herself wants students to succeed. And so you see that in in what she supports, right? And then we have this collaboration that happens across FSU that, to my knowledge, happens nowhere else. We have this committee that is made up of professionals, faculty members um, across the institution who come together every two weeks to talk about admissions and retention. So program after program after program, talking about student success every two weeks. And that's how we get there, right? IR, watching our numbers. Do you know what? It feels like, you know, listening to you talk and hearing, you know, the approach to to developing your educators 
and combining that with the the learning assistance, it seems like FSU has a real pedigree of negotiating and combining the didactic and the pastoral in a really unique way. And constantly improving, thinking about improvement, because even though our numbers are great, like, are we ever satisfied? No. We want to do so much more, especially for our marginalized communities, and then constantly being reflective, what what can we do better? It's just so encouraging to hear that these approaches are being adopted and that they that they have an impact. And that, you know, you're saying we follow the numbers, we follow the metrics, and clearly like there must have been a huge, huge effort put into defining what those metrics are and how we as an institution, FSU can really be confident that the data is good and that the decisions are made on it, like just as any good management structure will. It just sounds phenomenal. And being able to kind of loop in the softer side of university life and not just focus on, you know, bums on seats and courses passed and grades within the different courses is, it's really encouraging. I've so enjoyed hearing about it. So cool. Dr. Sophia Raming, thank you for joining us today. This has been an absolute pleasure and a fun and also really inspiring conversation. Sophia shared some really positive ideas with us about the way students are being supported at Florida State University. We'd love to hear how your institution is transforming science education, and we invite you to talk with us at labster.com slash talk hyphen with hyphen us. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, we hope you'll share it with a fellow teacher and subscribe to the Labster podcast. Until next time, keep teaching, keep learning, and stay safe.